Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 454 with Judy Ringer. She's got some pro tips on handling conflict masterfully, so you'll learn one, how to master yourself during conflicts, two, three effective mindsets for resolving conflicts, and three, how to skillfully inquire, acknowledge, and advocate. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we referenced, you'll find it over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep454. Now, here is some good stuff about Judy. Through interactive presentations and individual coaching, Judy Ringer helps you transform conflict by changing your relationship to it. Aikido is the metaphor she uses to become more intentional and less reactive, to communicate directly and respectfully, and to create your life and work on purpose. So thanks to Judy for spending some time with us, and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Here is Judy. Judy, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Pete, it's a delight already. Thank you very much for inviting me. Oh, shucks. Well, I, I'm so glad that everything worked out and, and we're, we're making it happen. I want to hear about something you made happen, which was <laughs> singing the national anthem at a Red Sox game. How did this come about? Yeah, well, it's something I love to talk about. So thank you. I had this dream for a very long time to sing the national anthem at a Red Sox game. I'm a Red Sox fan. I live in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which is about an hour north of Boston, and we go to the games now and then when we can. And I love to sing. I'm a professional singer in my spare time, and I love to sing the national anthem. And I just thought, wouldn't it just be cool? You know, just one of those crazy dreams you have. And so I set about achieving it. I I went to their website, I wrote them, I found out what you have to do and how many probably thousands of people ask every year to sing for a Red Sox game at Fenway Park. And I sent them, I made a professional CD, I sent them a CD just like they asked for of me singing the anthem and also God Bless America, I followed up. I even sent them a couple of videos of me singing at other games that I've, I've sung at more locally. Mm -hmm. And, you know, nothing happened. But every year. So I went about this for maybe three, four years. And every year I'd just follow up and I found out who I needed to talk to. And finally, uh, what really made it happen was uh, Dave O'Brien, who's the announcer for the Red Sox, came to one of our Rotary meetings. I'm a Rotarian here in Portsmouth. 
And after he spoke, and he was just a great speaker, as you might imagine, I went up to him and I said, you know, Dave, I've been trying for years to get noticed by the Red Sox team, uh, and I'd love to sing the national anthem. And I said, you know, I actually can sing. I would do a good job. I've sent them videos and audios of myself. And he said, well, you know, I don't have much control over that, but if you'll send me an email, here's my address, I'll just send it along and see what happens. And that's exactly what he did. He passed it along and somebody got in touch with me and there happened to be a New Hampshire Day coming up at uh, Fenway Park in July of 2017. This was in May, I think, that I got contacted by them. And so it happened. And it was an amazing event. I got there. I mean, I got to be, you know, underground with all the team. And I got to walk out on Fenway Park. And I got to sing for, I think it was about 40,000 people that night. And it was awesome. It was awesome. And I practiced all my skills, everything I talk about in the book. <laughs> well, well, that's so cool. And so interesting to me when, you know, when there is a process and then it doesn't matter. <laughs> Like, actually, there's a guy who knows a guy know. as opposed to, yes, yes, please follow step A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I know. Uh, <laughs> I know. It doesn't, yeah. I know. And yet, and yet I have to say that maybe the fact that they had my audio and my video, they could go to it. They could see that I was really, that I wouldn't mess up or embarrass anyone. Mm -hmm. And that all of that adds up. Maybe if I hadn't also done all of that, I wouldn't have had the courage to go and talk to Dave. Oh, certainly. Right. So, because it does feel a little bit more audacious. Like, yes, yeah, so Dave, yeah, uh, yeah. I like to sing. Mm, hook me up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> cool. Well, so I want to hear about your book, Turn Enemies into Allies, and your martial arts work. So could you sort of just tell us the whole story here? What's uh, what's the big idea that you're presenting? <laughs> That's a great question, too. Well, the big idea is that I have a model that I use when I go into organizations and help people resolve conflict. The model is based on Aikido and some of its techniques and principles, like blending and redirecting of energy, for example. I also have part of the model is that I work with the people in conflict. Usually there are two of them and they need to be able to work together and they can't. And I work with each person individually first, and then I bring them together. And as I got used to doing this model and doing it many times in organizations, I would notice that I'm not doing anything that the manager couldn't do themselves. So I decided to write the uh, model down in a series of blog posts. This was about five years ago that I first started writing about it. And then I began expanding them and they became Turn Enemies Into Allies, the book. So the major point here is that you can do what I'm doing if you're a manager, a leader of an organization with some key skills that I describe in the book and some attitudes that I describe in the book, like non-judgment, like curiosity, like appreciating where people are coming from, the ability to listen, the ability to reframe the conflict as a gift of energy that people might be able to use to actually build their relationship and become leaders themselves and apply the skills not only at work, but in life too. And that's what I decided to write about in the book. So the big idea is you can do this. And you can do it fairly easily, actually, if you get over the idea that conflict is negative, that it's a bad thing, that and adopt the attitude and begin to practice it, that conflict can be a gift if we decide that it is, to get to know each other better and to learn uh, how to solve a problem rather than needing to create a contest over it.
Well, there's so much there to, to dig into. So <laughs> let's see. Let, let's start with that. That conflict can be a gift. Yes. So tell us what's great about it. <laughs> uh, what's great about it? Yeah. Okay. Well, the book starts with the premise that if we can't manage ourselves, we can't manage anybody else. So the first gift in conflict is that it causes me to look at myself and ask myself, why is this getting to me? Or why is this person, this situation? Is it something that I have any control over? And if it is, where is my power and how can I find it? Maybe I'm not expressing myself. Maybe I've been avoiding the conflict. And how can I decide to take a more active role in the conflict? So the gift might be, first of all, I have to manage myself. I have to manage my own emotional mindset. I have to center myself, as I describe in the book, and bring a centered presence into the conflict. So there's a gift right there, learning to center myself, learning to be mindful about how I decide to be more intentional in the conflict instead of reactive to it. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Okay, certainly, yeah. So that's the first gift. The second gift, let's say it's a conflict that involves an issue at work that we're trying to solve. The gift is how do we solve this in a way that's sustainable and that meets the uh, interests of all the parties involved? If it's a team, how do I get the voices of all of my team members involved in solving it? Uh, if it's just one-on-one, -on -one, same thing. How do I find out what's important to each of the parties in the conflict and then help them express those needs and help them find a solution that meets the needs? Okay, understood. So certain those sound like some, some good things. And then, so tell us then when it comes to Aikido, well, first, could you share what that is for those who are not familiar? And, and then what are its, its parallels to this process? Right. So that's where this idea for me anyway came from. Aikido is a martial art first and foremost, and it was developed in the 20th century. So it's a pretty recent evolution of the martial arts. And it was developed by a man named Morihei Washiba, a Japanese man who's now dead, but only died in 1969. His idea was that uh, you could subtly transform other martial arts uh, through Aikido into a, a martial art that didn't harm people. So the goal is to render the attack harmless without harming the attacker. And you do this by first getting out of the way of the attack and moving in to join with its energy and then redirect it. So let's say somebody's coming at me with a punch. Instead of blocking and punching back, I get out of the way really fast. I join the energy by, let's say, uh, grabbing onto the arm that's punching me, and then I redirect it into a pin or a fall. So I'm not trying to harm the opponent. I'm just trying to control and de-escalate the conflict. So with that comes a metaphor. And in fact, uh, Wishiba, the founder of Aikido, had a philosophy that went along with, with the development of the art. And he said that this is about turning our adversaries into allies. This is about protecting ourselves from the enemy outside of ourselves or from the enemy within. That the, if we could vanquish the source of the conflict within ourselves, then we would have no difficulty with those outside ourselves. So we call it blending and redirecting. And we think about the attack as a gift of energy that I can use to redirect and keep the opponent safe while also keeping myself safe on the mat. Off the mat, we're practicing Aikido anytime we listen with an intention to learn with curiosity. So that's the same thing as blending and redirecting. When I ask a question, when you come at me, let's say, with a, and say, Judy, that's a stupid idea. 
instead of saying, no, it isn't, it's a great idea, right? That, so that would be like blocking and resisting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> instead, I say, well, Pete, why, why do you think so? What specifically don't you like? Or tell me more, right? So that's me blending, getting off the line. I'm not getting hurt. And by asking a question and being curious, I find out more about what's upsetting you about my idea. Maybe it's that you just can't afford the idea. Maybe you like the idea, but the budget doesn't allow for it. So we have a new way to open up the conflict and talk about it. Does that make sense too? Oh, certainly, yes. Well, so now I'm curious. So that particular example, yeah. you talk about you know self management. Yep. I think there's there's a challenge right there. It's like if someone says that to you, get the the knee jerk reaction is anger, defensiveness, uh, frustration, and, mm -hmm. and so what do you do right there in that moment where you're like this jerk? I, I know. I, <laughs> I want to yell at him. Yeah. And I got to say, you know, that I still practice this. It's not just because I've been teaching it for 25 years doesn't mean I don't have conflict in my life. So your question goes right to the point. What do I do? What does one do? It helps if you practice, just like anything else. You know, you don't pick up a flute and learn how to play it in an instant. You have to practice it. So you practice noticing, first of all. So that's the first thing. If I don't notice I'm getting reactive, that I'm starting to react and, you know, say, what do you mean what a jerk you are? If I don't notice that, I can't stop it. So that's the first thing. And then you stop and you center yourself. You take a breath. You just don't say anything. You bite your tongue. You count to 10. You do any of the things that we've heard about over the years to center yourself. I have specific ways. When I ask my groups, what do you do to center yourself? Everyone says, I breathe. Sometimes people say, well, I think about a bigger perspective. But you can tell in that that they stop themselves from reacting and decide what they need to do next. The amygdala, the brainstem, has some very strong reactive patterns programmed into it. The prefrontal cortex has, is what we use to think with. And to make that journey from the back of the brain to the front of the brain maybe takes a half a second, maybe not even that long, if we notice and we take that breath. So that's the first step. Center myself. And now I can make a more intentional choice about what I do next. It may be, if I'm being really reactive, it may just be, I say something like, let me think about what you just said. Can we talk in about five minutes, right? So I give mm -hmm. myself more time to be centered and be less reactive. Certainly. Yeah, I like that. Well, so then we, you talk about the breath. Is there any special way to breathe or what do you think about the breath? <laughs> Well, it's basically to breathe. Most of the time, if you think about, and if the audience listening thinks about the last time they were involved in a conflict or something happened to them, surprising, caused them to react, chances are they weren't breathing. They just held their breath. It often happens. So the more we can just notice that and begin to breathe again, it doesn't have to be a huge breath. It doesn't even have to be terribly deep. Just to start breathing again and to focus on the breath is enough. So I'm doing that now because no. I'm a little nervous. I mean, here we are, you know, a, a oh, podcast. <laughs> I want to say it right. I want to do everything right. So that induces a sense of stress and anxiety. It can. So every once in a while, I just stop, notice that I'm breathing and I'm standing, both feet on the ground and everything is going to be okay. And if I just say that mantra to myself, everything will be okay, pretty much. Okay. So uh, it is okay. <laughs> Let me give you a couple of other suggestions on this because I oh, know sure. people love to hear ideas. Okay. Well, what can I do in the moment? That's, that's the question. So first you notice, and then you have a practice. If you have a practice, like 
I know your last speaker, the one I just listened to this morning, was talking about mindfulness. If you have a mindfulness practice, if you meditate daily, you're already getting into the mood of centering so that if something happens later in the day, you've got a sense of what it feels like to be centered from your early morning practice so you can go back to it fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. You can create rituals for yourself. I have a client who one day she had a really tough meeting with uh, her staff, all of her staff meeting, and she was nervous about it. So I said, what are you going to do to center yourself first? We were doing coaching. She said, well, I'm going to maybe look at some of the pictures on the wall, or she said, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I said, well, and there was a pen on the table, and I threw the pen out on the table, and I said, you know, you could just look at this pen. It doesn't have to be anything fancy or special. Just look at the pen once in a while. The meeting went really well, as you might imagine. She did a great job. At the end, I said, how'd you do? She said, I looked at that pen a lot, right? <laughs> and every time she looked at it, she just kind of took a breath. She recentered herself, and she got physically and mentally and emotionally more stable, more balanced, more calm, and more ready for whatever might come next. All right, cool. So uh, there we have it in terms of, so you're starting to notice yourself in situations all the time. And mm -hmm. then you stop and center with the breath and plant the feet on the floor, et cetera. And so you're, you're in a good spot there. And, and so, you know, let's talk a little bit about some of these perspectives in terms of non-judgment and, and curiosity mm -hmm. and appreciation. Mm-hmm. Can you share a bit about these these mindsets? Like, what does it mean to really approach things in such a way? Right. These mindsets are the mindsets that I recommend in the book uh, that the manager follow when they're with listening to one of their employees. So let's say they decide to engage in this intervention in the book that allows them to hear each person's story first before they bring them together. What this does is that it allows the employee to tell their story in a way that they feel heard. So non-judgment is just that. And it's impossible, of course, because we're always making judgments. But once again, we notice we are. Maybe we favor this particular employee because they're a high producer and we really wish the other employee would change. So when we listen to each one, we try to uh, listen without making any judgments ahead of time and just deciding to listen to the story as it's, if it were the first time we're hearing it. Appreciation steps in when we think about how to appreciate the more positive intention of each of the parties. So I'm again, I'm meeting with them separately and I'm hearing, even though they're making mistakes and they're going about things reactively, that they each probably have a positive intention in there somewhere. Uh, an example might be that one of your employees tends to avoid conflict. And so they haven't said anything to the other person about what's bothering them. And the form that this takes is that they just ignore emails or they ignore requests for information because they're afraid that they might be reactive and say the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. If you can appreciate that the person's afraid of conflict, that most people are afraid of conflict, and the positive intention is not to make things worse, it helps to approach the coaching from this point of view as opposed to deciding that the person just has no skills and can't do anything and nothing's ever going to work. Mm, right. So approaching it with an appreciative mindset helps everything. Another way that appreciation works is, well, for example, on the Aikido mat, we uh, always find that usually one side of the body gets the technique faster than the other side. For example, in learning how to fall, we have to learn how to roll. And on one side of the body, I know how to roll really well and I don't get hurt. The other side of the body, I crunch my shoulder every time. Instead of focusing on the, the side that gets hurt, I do it a lot of times on the side that works 
so that I can figure out what I'm doing and apply it to the side that doesn't work. In the workplace, this happens when we see, well, where are you and Jane? Get it. Where are areas where you work well together? In an example that I give in the book with a medical practice and the team was not getting along at all. And I said, well, there must be some areas where you uh, are able to work together. You wouldn't keep working together. And they said, yeah, well, when we understand our roles and our goals, everything goes really smoothly. And I said, okay, so let's appreciate that. Let's figure out how we can apply that to the places in your practice where you don't have clear roles and goals. Right. Mm -hmm. Appreciation. Non-judgment, curiosity, one of the major tools that, that helps in conflict of any kind, whether it's with employees or with uh, people at home. I mean, these skills apply everywhere. Well, I'll give you an example of this. So one of the clients I was working with was quite upset with the, her colleague who, because she copied everyone on every single email. And mm -hmm. so I said, well, what question would you like to ask your colleague? And she said, well, I'd like to ask why she copies everybody on every single email. And I said, okay, well, it's a great question. Uh, can you ask it in a more curious way? And she said, okay. And she, she worked on it. She practiced and she, and she got to the point where she said it in a way that probably her colleague could hear it really well. And I said, okay, so what do you have to do to be able to say it that way? Cause it's not just what you say. It's what, it's how you say it. She said, well, I'd actually have to be curious. And so we laughed about it. It was kind of an aha moment. But the point is, if you're in conflict now, how are you approaching what you say? Even if you're asking a question, are you really curious about it? Or are you just stating the question in a way that's kind of attacking? You know, there's a very, there's a big difference. Mm-hmm. Well, and so then when you said ask it in a curious way, yeah. you didn't so much mean choose different words, like why yeah. are you doing this, but but rather the sort of tone and vibe you're you're putting out there when you when you ask that question. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I mean. Okay. One of my favorite sayings, and this comes from one of my mentors, Thomas Crum, that your quality of being is primary. Everything else is secondary. If I come into a conflict conversation with you and I have a purpose to resolve the conflict, to learn what I can about how you see things, if I come into the conflict conversation thinking, well, whatever's going to happen, I'm going to learn something and I know it's going to be better after this, that's my quality of being, my mindset, my emotional state. If I walk into that same conversation thinking, oh, this is going to be awful, oh, I wish I didn't have to do this, right? There's going to be quite a different outcome. Mm -hmm. Oh, certainly. Oh, okay, that, that's handy. And, and I'm curious when it comes to the actual listening. Yes. Uh, there's a bit of the mindset we discussed when, yes. when you're listening, but is there any other key questions you recommend asking during the course of the listening? Yes, I can. I can recommend some generic questions that will get things started. And then what real listening does is that it continues to ask questions. It doesn't just stop. It really, a good listener really listens for what's being said and also what's maybe not being said. They listen for ways like you're doing today, Pete, for ways to go deeper into the conversation. A generic question might be, can you tell me how this started? If a manager, for example, is talking to an employee about a conflict, can you tell me how this started? What's your view about how the resolution would work? If it could be resolved, what would be ideal? Another question, just a generic question would be, can you tell me more about what you're thinking? I'd like to talk to you about what's happening between us, but I'd like to hear your point of view and I'd like to tell you mine. Would you like to start? 
Tell me what's mm-hmm. going on. How do I affect you in ways that are not helpful? Now, you have to be willing to hear the answer, but that's a great question to just ask someone to tell them how you could be more helpful, for example. Right. Okay, that's that's cool. And I, I suppose that these all sort of flow from that curiosity and, and they feel non-threatening as a result as, as I listen to you say them. And so maybe just sort of make it all come alive and together. Could you maybe walk us through an example of, of a conflict? So you had person A and person B that you spoke with individually, and then you brought them together and, and how did it all come together? Well, one of the best things that happened in that, and the one I'm thinking of right now is that at the beginning, I usually ask people on a scale of one to 10, and we're in individual sessions now, on a scale of one to 10, how important is it that you and Sally be able to work together, for example? And let's call the other person Lauren. Lauren says, well, it's 10. We have to be able to work together. I said, how likely do you think it is that the conflict's going to get resolved that we're working on together? Zero. You know, I said, okay. Let's take a look at how willing are you to put yourself into this fully? And they'll say, maybe I'm a 10. I'm willing to do this. I just don't think there's any possibility. So one of the ones that I worked on with a large insurance company, that's the way it started. They said uh, that they wanted to work on it, that it was important that they resolve it. And yet they didn't think there was any chance because it had been going on so long. And that's one of the problems is that managers let these conflicts go on too long. Mm -hmm. And that's when they bring in a ringer. Yeah. Couldn't resist, Judy. Good one. I'm glad you came out. Yeah. You probably oh, no. heard it before. No, well, once or twice. <laughs> you, they bring you in, and your yeah last yeah. name is Ranger. So, okay. So there we are. They they want it resolved, but they don't think it's going to happen. And they say they're willing to to work on it. And they say they're willing to work on it. So I set up some sessions, and we begin to talk, and maybe three or four or five, depending on how polarized things are and how deeply resentful each person is. I listen to each party for three or four hours, like I said, in individual hour-long sessions. And I hear them, so I'm listening. What happens in this case, Pete, is that, I don't know if this has ever happened to you or anyone listening today, but when you really listen to someone and you ask them some questions and you say, tell me more, and how did you feel when that happened? And I'm really curious, when did this start? And how do you see it being resolved? Are you willing? Do you see your contribution? How do you see your contribution in this conflict? When you ask questions like that and they really talk, things relax. They lighten up because maybe for the first time, someone's really, really listening to their side and aligning with them. Okay. Well, certainly. But you said so three to four hours for yeah. each party. Yeah. So for six to eight hours total. And I think you're you're right that probably nobody has ever listened to them about <laughs> almost anything for that long. <laughs> well, thank uh, you for that. I'm not saying I listen for three to four hours. I say I listen maybe in the first session and then I begin to teach some skills. And I begin okay, gotcha. To, yeah. So it's mm-hmm. not all just listening for that. But maybe the first hour, most of it is mm-hmm. listening and here, you know, people love to tell how bad the other person is. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so I just say, yeah, I get it. I know from your point of view, this is how it looks. And people also get that I'm doing that with the other party too. So Uh they're starting to think, well, if she can do this with the other party, maybe I can too. Or maybe there's a different way to tell this because this is my story. Maybe there's another way to tell it. Mm -hmm. I begin that way. And then we start to bring people together. So now when they come together, they're very relaxed. They've got some skills. And one of the best things that happened in this particular situation was after they began to talk to each other and uh, hear the other person's story and see what they had in common and how it all got started and starting to be able to be more 
uh, civil with each other and kind with each other, actually. Uh, one of the women said, you know, I didn't realize this is just a set of skills. I thought it was a bad person because I couldn't figure this out. And I was in a conflict that I couldn't figure out. It was driving me crazy. This is just a set of skills. Anybody can learn these. And I said, yeah, that's right. Right. I mean, their mind body skills and their verbal communication skills. As I said, quality of being is primary. I got to learn how to be centered, curious, non-judgmental, wanting to learn. I've got to have a learning mindset. And then I've got to learn some, just some key skills like inquiry. How do I ask questions? How do I listen? How do I acknowledge acknowledgement? How do I acknowledge what I hear? It's not just I'm listening. I'm also showing you that I heard what you said. And then how do I advocate? Because I get a turn here too. Here's how I see it. You don't see it my way. This is what I see. That's advocacy. Uh And when everybody gets a chance to be heard, then all the information's out there on the table. You can begin to sort through it and solve things. Basically, I'm in the book and in my work across the board. I like to help people move from a mindset of how do I be right? How do I look good here? How do I make myself right? To a mindset of what can I learn here? So from a message delivery to a learning conversation, from a difficult conversation to a learning conversation. When we can enter a conversation and think, what can I learn here? Everything changes. It all works out. Well, that's great stuff. And so we've talked about the being and and some listening and some inquiry. So can you share with us a couple thoughts around acknowledgement and advocacy? Yeah, I can. In the book, I call Acknowledgement the Secret Sauce because we never do it. We may listen. We may think we're pretty good listeners and we may be actually. And then we go right to, okay, yeah, but, right? Yeah, but. And then we want to advocate right away. There's some little piece in between that's called acknowledgement that goes like this. What I hear you saying is, is this what you're saying? Can I clarify? If what you're saying is true, then it would all work out if, right? So I just build on what the other person's saying. And I believe the reason we don't do this is that we have this notion that if we acknowledge what the other person's saying, it's some sort of tacit agreement with what they're saying. That if I actually hear an opposing point of view, it means I'm agreeing with it. And that's crazy. Of course, it doesn't mean that. It just Mm -hmm. means that I'm good enough to listen to you, care about what I'm hearing, and care about solving the problem enough. So acknowledgement. Okay. So if you said, that's a stupid idea, Judy. I don't (laughs) think it's going to work. We can't afford it. And I would say, you don't think we can afford it? Can you tell me more? Why not? Okay. So I'm not only acknowledging, but I'm clarifying, I'm being more curious. So just like you're doing today, I'm going deeper and deeper and deeper until the person feels heard. And then I can advocate. If we're trying to change a piece of software, for example, I'm going to say something like, uh, so let's say I'm for it, they're against it. I'm going to say something like, so Jenny, you think that uh, this piece of software would cause more harm than good. Am I hearing it right? Yeah, you're hearing it right. And you think that basically what we have isn't broken, so why fix it? Is that right? Yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. Now, they may not have said those exact words, Mm -hmm. but I'm adding on. And is there anything else I need to know? No, that's about it. Okay. Would you like to hear my view on this? Yeah, sure. See, now they've lightened up. They're maybe ready to hear my point of view. And I have to be really clear about this, Pete. This is not about manipulation. This is not about getting Jenny to hear me, pretending to hear Jenny so she can hear me so we, so I can get my way. This is about sincerely trying to solve the problem. I have to be ready 
to admit that maybe this piece of software isn't exactly what we need. Mm -hmm. However, when I'm there, then Jenny's much more likely to be able to hear what I have to say next. So advocacy is what comes next. And that's me not selling necessarily, but educating. That's how I like to think about it. So let's pretend that, you know, we're both from different planets. In fact, in some ways we are. You know, we all come from different cultures, different upbringings. But let's pretend that we're really from other planets. I need to pretend I don't know anything about what's going on for Jenny, but I also need to know and not assume that Jenny knows anything about what's going on for me. So when I'm advocating, I start at the basics. So here's what I see, Jenny. Here's what I see the problem and and the productivity that we could increase with the new software. Here's what looks good to me about it. What do you think? And then you go back into inquiry Mm -hmm. and you start to go back and forth now, inquiry, advocacy. And then if you get to a point where you've got some form of agreement, Jenny says something that I agree with, I'm going to try to build on that. Pick something. Well, I I hear what you're saying about uh, you're worried that it might cause people stress because it's something new. What if we started out with a trial period or something like that, where we just took a few early adopters and see what they thought? Could that work? Right? So I try to build on something and use what I've learned from my inquiry to uh, create a solution that would work for the other party. Mm-hmm. And you use the phrase, until they feel heard. Yes. Uh, how do you know when <laughs> you got there? I know when the the answer to m- my question, is there anything else, is no. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. And so it, it sounds like maybe for some, the challenge is, is just bringing in, dedicating the time and the patience up front. Yeah. That you're really going to, you're really going to go all the way to the end, as opposed to, well, we have a 25-minute appointment window, Judy, so let's, yeah. uh, you know, hurry this along. Let's get these guys together and figure it out, right? And I know a lot of people that I've talked to have tried this first, and usually emotions run high and things don't get solved. That's why I like to work with people individually first, even if just try it for one session. One sort of fallacy about conflict that I think people have is that we, especially in, in this busy work environment that we're all in right now, is that we don't have time for this kind of an intervention. We don't have time to separate the parts. I don't have time to talk with each one. Let's just get them in the room and tell them to figure it out. I'll tell you, you don't have time not to resolve the conflict. The one that I mentioned with, you know, Sally and Lauren, that went on for two years before anybody right. decided to try and solve it. That's two years. Yeah, and all the mental energy when yes. when they're fuming quietly in their <laughs> cubicles instead of like doing anything productive. It's like, oh, I can't believe that she said that. Oh my gosh, that nerve on her. Whatever, whatever's kind of going yes. on there. It's not productive. Uh, <laughs> Value creation, it's sort of wheel spinning that, uh, you know, if you could, boy, just imagine if you had half an hour of that over two years, mathematically, geez, that's like over 50 hours of productivity loss, which, which can totally happen when things simmer. It's absolutely correct. That's not even counting the polarization that could be taking place as they complain to their teammates, right? Oh, sure. Everybody starts to take sides. Well, Judy, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention (laughs) before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. I don't think so. Some of my favorite things will be in what we're going to talk about now because you asked me for, for my favorite quote and things like that. All right. Well, let's hear a favorite quote. Well, I have a couple. They're all, in, well, I actually have three and they're all in the same vein. One of them is mine, which is when you change, everything changes. Yeah. And another one is Margaret Wheatley. She has said, we invent our environment by our presence in it. Now, Margaret Wheatley is an organizational consultant and writer. She's written a lot of wonderful books 
uh, like uh, leadership in the new science. But uh, that we invent our environment by our presence in it. And when you change, everything changes. When I decide to walk into a, a room centered, breathing, positive attitude, appreciative, it's really hard to fight with me, right? Right. And the other thing, <laughs> uh, the last one is what my Aunt Mary said, which is life is what you make it. And if life isn't turning out exactly how you planned in the workplace, take a look at your contribution to it and see what you can do differently. Mm, thank you. You're welcome. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? I would go to Brene Brown and her work and research on vulnerability and the power of that. I think when we're centered, we're completely open and completely flexible and completely vulnerable. And I think there's a lot of power in that. Mm -hmm. And a favorite book? A favorite book. That is a tough one. I think one of my favorite books, actually, and what got me started in this, and it's it's quite old now, is The Magic of Conflict by Thomas Crum. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And how about a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? Yeah. And I just began to use this tool about maybe six weeks ago because so many people recommended it. And I thought I got to check this out. It's the Calm app, C-A-L-M, that uh, helps people. If you want to develop a centering practice, you don't have a place to go or don't have time to go to a class, this is a great app for uh, teaching you how to meditate and for getting you involved in a practice that you can do every day very easily with just your phone and a set of earphones if you need them. You don't even need those. Mm -hmm. And how about a favorite habit? Yeah. Favorite habit is catching myself uncentered <laughs> and then recentering. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with your readers and listeners? Yes. I think it's this idea that conflict is a gift if we make it one. Let's say conflict can be a gift of energy. There's an article I wrote a number of years ago that's getting a lot of press right now called How to Turn Your Tormentors into Teachers. And people seem to be resonating with that, that in fact, I have some power here, that I don't just have to let these things happen to me. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? JudyBringer.com. It's all there. I've got a lot of downloadable resources, articles, and I have a great blog. It's called Key Moments, K-I, Moments about the K-E-Y moments in life. Key means energy or mm -hmm. life force. Clever. <laughs> and, and do you have a final challenge or, or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? I do. You know, I thought about this one a little bit. I would notice the red flags of blaming and justification. Hmm. Because when we're blaming someone else for something that's going on or for our feelings, for example, for making us angry or reactive or justifying a behavior, it limits our power. We can only change ourselves. And the more we try to change other people, the more power we're giving away. Now, let's see. So, so justifying then is, is just sort of making arguments for why you exactly as mm -hmm. you are right here and right now are, are perfect and no change mm -hmm. is required. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. What is that song? It drives me nuts. It's like, I don't want to be anything other than what I've been trying to be lately. <laughs> Apologies for the pitch. But uh, I was like, what does that even mean? And why not? We all need to change and grow. I don't, I don't like this song. But anyway, I overthink lyrics sometimes. Um, I got to recenter. <laughs> when listening uh, to the radio <laughs> we can appreciate who we are i don't mean that I mean, you know that pete uh, we Certainly. absolutely need to appreciate who we are and our positive intention the minute we start to blame somebody else or say well i have to do this because you know the other person they made me be this way you know just it's just sort of like saying well here's my center take it away you can go away with it and just take it you know just mm -hmm. it gives up power understood 
Well, Judy, thanks so much for, for sharing this. I wish you lots of fun and, and luck in <laughs> Aikido and your book and all your adventures. Thank you very much, Pete. This was a joy. Boy, I loved, loved, loved Judy's perspective on entering a conversation with the attitude of what can I learn here to change everything? And I think that's just great because it's natural for the brain. If you have a question, you, you want to find resolution, there's tension. Let's, let's get after the answer. So you're kind of cluing in, tuning in all the more to listen better. And two, I think for us, the listeners and myself, you know, we dig learning. I guess that's something we're kind of into, as I've gathered from the surveys. Thanks again for those. And what that show is all about. So if you go into that conversation with what can I learn here, as opposed to how can I prove this moron is wrong and demolish him with a vastly superior argument, then you're going to go far in terms of redirecting that energy and get better outcome from that conflict situation. So great stuff from Judy. Hope you dug that and more. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash app 454. If you haven't already, I hope you'll punch subscribe to catch our next guest. It's Lisa Wentz. She is a vocal coach who has worlds of insight about how you can sound better and use your voice to have all the more confidence, authority, gravitas, and all that good stuff. Hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.